0: Well, let us hear another word of the Lord. This uh, we're going to deal with three verses today, verses seventeen to nineteen, and uh, and then we'll finish up, Lord willing, the, chat, the the book next week after about a year and a half. I hope it's been as fruitful for you as it has been for me to study. Uh, I can, uh, after what we've been through the last year and a half or so, what a what a wonderful thing to be able to talk about Christ every Sunday, and all those implications of His person, who He is, and His work, and what He's done for us. So let you know the Word of the Lord, I'm going to read verses 17 to 19 of Hebrews chapter 13. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning for that would be of no advantage to you. Pray for us. For we are sure that we have a clear conscience, desiring to act honorably in all things. I urge you the more earnestly to do this in order that I may be restored to you the sooner. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. God, I pray that you would open our eyes to see great things from your word today. I ask that you would work in us Work through us, God, to bring about your glory so that the world would see Christ in us, the hope of glory. And Father, I pray that you give me grace not to make this sermon sound too self-serving because, Lord, it certainly feels that way to me, but it is your word, and Father, you've asked us, tasked us with proclaiming it, and so give me grace to do that faithfully now, Lord, and uh, we pray that you'd work in us uh, to make us more like Jesus today. We might live no longer for our glory, but for your own, Lord, to glorify you and enjoy you forever. We pray this in his strong and mighty name. Amen. In July of 1750, about 271 years ago, maybe 271 years ago this Sunday, the church in Northampton, Massachusetts fired the great Jonathan Edwards. Now, can you imagine if your pastor were Jonathan Edwards? Anyone has job security in the pastorate, barring a moral failure, it should be, or one would think at least it would be Jonathan Edwards. But after 25 years, the church came together and they fired Edwards because they disagreed with him over his view of the Lord's Supper. Just to summarize, basically Edwards' Was becoming a Baptist, we think. <laughs> At least Tom Meadows thinks that, and I agree with him. He was embracing a view of the Lord's Supper that said only believers can take the supper. In other words, he was on his way, I think, had he lived longer, and this is, of course, total speculation by historians, which we love to do this, but I think he would have embraced baptism by immersion, believers' baptism by immersion. So he was embracing regenerate church membership, which Congregationalists, is. Congregationalists, they held more to the paedo-baptism view. But anyway, this was enough for them to fire the great Jonathan Edwards. And just a few weeks later, he stayed for a while. He had to stay on because you know, they didn't have a replacement, and then graciously he stayed on to preach. And he preached his farewell Sunday on the last Sunday there, and here was the doctrine he preached from 2 Corinthians 1.14. And I want us to listen to this, and I want this to land on us the way it might have landed on them. This is a very sobering doctrine from this text and from this sermon, his farewell sermon. He said this, Ministers and the people of God, the people that have been under their care, must meet one another before Christ's tribunal at the day of judgment. Let me read that again. Ministers, And the people who've been under the care, that's me, that's our elders, that's you, okay, let's, let's plug ourselves into these roles. So the minister and the people, the congregation who've been under their care, must meet one another before Christ's tribunal at the day of judgment. In other words... When on that last day, that getting up day, that last Sunday, that great and awful day of the Lord, we're going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ and we're going to give an account for what happened here. For What happened here at Christ Fellowship Baptist Church, in this building and in the building before, we're going to give an account for what happened here and what we did here, and how we lived with one another here, and what we taught here, and what we sang here, and what we said here, both in the service and outside the service. We're going to give an account for that, Edwards said, and I think he's right. And I say that based on the text that we're going to, I'm going to unpack today, and I'm going to have to give a caveat. I don't like caveats by preachers. But I'm going to give this one because uh, it just it makes me feel better, I think. <laughs> this is going to sound like a really self-serving sermon, Okay. I mean, you've heard the text already. Do you think, oh yeah, you, I bet you love this because it says basically obey us and do everything we say. It's like a parent scolding a child, right? It kind of can sound that way. But if you think that, I would say this, take it up with God. <laughs> this is the word of the Lord. It's all profitable. Every bit of it, every bit of it is profitable for our edification, right? And so we must unpack it and so we will because it begins in verse 17, obey your leaders. Local church leaders are in view here and submit to them. And so it would be easy for me to stay here and so, say, yeah, there you go, gotcha, right? So this is the word of the Lord. That's why I always say that. So obey and submit to your leaders. Now, we're getting to the end of Hebrews, and the writer of Hebrews, he's wrapping things up. And this, what I've argued, is a sermonic letter. He's wrapping it up. He's saying his goodbyes. He's saying we kind of summarizing everything he said. And, of course, his end is calling them to persevere in the faith. <coughs> Excuse me. Calling them to persevere in the faith because they are, they are being... They're flirting with a return to Judaism because the Christian life is just too hard. They're suffering. They're suffering this under Roman persecution because of their Christian faith. And so it's just easier to check boxes than to be a good Orthodox Jew. And the writer's saying, no, you must persevere. And he's given a lot of instruction, a lot of doctrine, of course, persevere because of Christ. And he's our great high priest, the greater high priest, the greater the fulfillment of all those things the prophets, priests, and kings in the Old Testament. He's the final prophet, priest, and king. And he's also giving means of persevering, and one of the means of persevering is being a member of a local church. Remember back in chapter 10, verse 25, he said, do not forsake the assembly of yourselves together. We really struggled with that during COVID, didn't we, But uh, about what that means, but don't forsake the assembly of the saints. He says, don't, because it's a, a, a very critical means of grace in your life, and he's saying submit to the leaders of the church. Why? Because that is a critical means of persevering in the faith. And I want to give some caveats about who you're to submit to here. We're not a cult. You're not to submit unthinkingly or foolishly here to just anybody, right? That's not what he's saying, but we'll get to that. We're coming to the end of Hebrews. And so he gives these two commands. And I'm going to say these are two countercultural commandments, are they not? Especially the day and age in which we live, this anti-authoritarian age. We hate to be told what to do. And for honest, we don't like to be told what to do either, do we? I mean, just go back about three weeks to the Southern Baptist Convention meeting in Nashville and you'll see how well Southern Baptists handle it when they're told what to do, when they tell each other what to do, right? I think that's the fallen condition of our hearts. So This should not be self serving because God said this, if this irks you, blame the writer of Hebrews, right, and God. Because our culture today recoils in horror the two words we begin with today, because they connote authority, obey and submit. And submit. Obey your leaders and submit to them. Obey. One, the first word, obey. Now, here's what he's here's here's what he's not saying. He's not saying obey, uh, obey them thoughtlessly, no matter what they say. Here's what I think this word means. I'm going to try to make this as simple as possible. Obey their teaching and spiritual leadership, in so far. As their teaching and spiritual leadership squares with the word of the Lord. If I get up here and I say that today we will all be Georgia Bulldogs fans, I think there will be a rebellion in the house here. And you can, the Williams are shaking their heads, good Tennessee people, of course they are, and good Kentucky and Louisville people, whatever, of course you don't need to follow me in that, even though it would delight my heart, not as much as singing you rise my soul, but it would delight my heart to see a lot of red and black in here probably, if I'm just honest about it. But really and truly, you wouldn't, you wouldn't obey that, would you? Or if I said something like, you know, I know we're supposed to believe the Trinity, but I don't think it's biblical, you shouldn't obey that, right? You should say, no, I think you're... I think you've been into the, you know, been to Lynchburg, Tennessee or something like that and uh, been drinking the spirits they make down there. I'm not sure what's up with you, but you should correct me, right? So you're to obey the teaching and spiritual leadership. If I said uh, something like, hey, listen, you need to go buy a new house because I don't like your house, well, that's not, that's not spiritual leadership, is it? That has nothing to do with me. Now, if I were to say to you, came to me and say, I want to buy a big house, and I said, but you don't make enough money to buy a big house after you told me what money, then maybe that is a spiritual thing. There are spiritual parts of our lives, right? But I mean obey our spiritual leadership as elders. That's what's in view here in the teaching. And submit. Here's what I mean by that. Submit to the truth of the doctrine that's preached by faithful men insofar as it is faithful to the word of God. Okay, so you see, this is very specific. Obey the teaching of the spiritual leadership and submit to the doctrine, the preaching of the word of God. That's what you're submitting to, right? We all come here together around God's word. That's it right here. That's it. You're not to submit to my football team or my baseball team or me telling you, you know, that you need a new refrigerator or something like that, or you need to take this job or that job or marry this person, although we might talk about some of those things because there are, spiritual, there are spiritual aspects of lots of these decisions we make in life, right? If you got my advice on that, I might give you advice and it might not be worth the, uh, you know, even enough to buy you a newspaper. So These are what I'm going to assume here are faithful leaders, Okay. That's what we're going to assume here. The leaders who are being faithful in their life and in their teaching, in their life and in their doctrine, what must a faithful elder be? Well, we don't have time to go through this. We taught on this a few months ago, maybe a couple years ago, but it's those who strive, those elders, those church leaders who strive daily to be the kind of pastors described in 1 Timothy 3, 1 to 7, and Titus 1. Those are the qualifications for elders which are very very clear. They're to be godly men who are able to teach. That's a good summary, right? Seeking to bear, see the fruit of the Holy Spirit born in their lives, submitting to the teaching of God's word themselves, both in their teaching and in their lives. That's qualification for elders, and we're able to teach, to so do what I'm standing here doing right now, preaching and teaching the word. So That's the kind of elder you need in this church that every, every faithful, gospel-centered Bible-believing church should have, every pastor or every board of elders, right? And frankly, that's the baseline for elders in this church. I mean, right now, one of the things we're praying about as elders is you know, is, is we, we feel like we have a need maybe for another elder or two in the coming months, and you can help us pray about that. As God, we prefer to see those raised up among us, and so we're praying about that. That's something we've been praying about for quite a long time. But he's got to meet, he's got to be a he, first of all, and meet the qualifications, 1 Timothy 3, 1 to 7, Titus 1. Not perfectly, but be seeking to be that kind of man, and by and large, be that kind of man. So we're going to assume that here. So that's who you must follow. Who, the, what kind of teachers must you avoid? Well, there's lots of them. I'm going to give you seven here very quickly. One, and I think this is self-evident here at Christ Fellowship, you must avoid and never call false teachers. Now, by that, I do not mean someone who doesn't view, agree with your view of the millennium, our view, your view of church music, should we sing a fast song like Arise, My Soul Arise? I say, yes. There are some of you who are very committed to being morose and you say, no, that's not spiritual. I disagree. I don't think anyone in that church is like that. I don't mean that. That's not a heretical teaching. I mean someone who doesn't, who denies the cardinal doctrines of Christianity, either by, in, in practice, they don't teach it or preach it, or they just deny it outright, so that's a false teacher, someone who teaches something that's not biblical, something not in the Bible. Cult leaders do this often, but I think you know that. Secondly, and this is not as obvious, but this is, this is a popular uh, preacher out there in the 21st century, and that is the narcissist, and that is they love themselves, they have a wonderful plan for their church and ministry, a man who loves himself and he's got a wonderful plan for his church and his ministry and, uh, my, uh, and be, pay attention to the pronouns there, right? Let's talk about pronouns. There you go. There's your couple of pronouns. Over there, there. His life. He's got a wonderful plan for his life and his ministry. Well, What's wrong with that? Whose life is it? God's. Whose, whose ministry is it? Who does this church belong to, Jeff Robinson or Doug Williams or Clay DeVoe? No. Nope. Well, no, not hardly. you are God's people, right? And it's a stewardship, and we're going to get to that. So the narcissist, the narcissist, he's building his own platform, not really building disciples of Christ, and not really interested in that at all. And you see them out there. Several of them have fallen lately. We've seen men who've fallen. Most of them were narcissistic. They really love themselves, and there's no shortage of ministers who love themselves. And of course, if I'm honest, there's a, I, we, all, uh, we, you know, we all flirt with that. If, I'm not, if I don't have people around me like my wife and children and you, four teenagers will do it, keeping you humble. Maybe I could be a narcissist. Thirdly, those who abuse authority. This is the worst kind of narcissist. Let's turn to 1 Peter 5. Just turn back to your right a few pages here. I want to read verses 1 to 5 here, as far as the kind of elder you need, the kind of elder you need to avoid. Peter writes, "'So I exhort the elders among you.'" So this is an exhortation to elders. "'As a fellow elder,' Peter's an elder himself, "'and a witness of the sufferings of Christ.'" as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you. Exercising oversight, elders. Now see, that's the call word, exercise oversight. Not under compulsion, not because mama called you or, you know, you think you had some fit of ecstasy in a service and you think you're called. No, no, no. Not under compulsion or not because, you know, you just think it's a good middle-class living, but willingly as God would have you. In other words, as God would call you, you're a God-called man. Not for shameful gain, not for the money, and <laughs> if you're in it for that, you're really deluded, uh, but eagerly. As God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge. There we go. That's what I'm after. Verse 3, but being examples to the flock. Not domineering over those in your charge. Being examples, examples of what we'll see here in a moment. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive, elder, the unfading crown of glory. Likewise, you are younger, be subject to the elders. This is the older people in the church and the elders in the church. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. This is it. Not domineering, but being humble. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. you love it. There's not a more fearful verse in all of the Bible than that right there. God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Do you want to slap leather with God? Then be arrogant. Be a narcissist. Be one who abuses authority, and you're slapping leather with God, and you're not going to win because he opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. What kind of elder do you want? What kind of elder is a faithful elder? Well, That's an elder who's seeking humility, Right? Not dominating over those in your charge, but seeking humility. Fourth kind of elder? You don't want an elder who lacks humility, who uh, lacks what Peter calls for right here. I had a well-known pastor a few years ago, a well-known SBC pastor, tell me, you know, I never speak in churches under 100 people. They can't pay me very well, and I just don't want to waste my time with that. I'll be honest with you. I've never felt the same about that man since that day. i would looked up to him until that moment. He was telling me, when you get popular someday and people know you, don't go to a church under a hundred. They can't pay you very well. No. I hope that's just self-evident for you. There are those who call, their are hirelings, and men who say those things, they remind me, of, they make me think of hirelings. I don't know his heart, but I didn't like that. It's a man who likes humility, right? The pastoral ministry should humble. You guys go into pastoral ministry, if you're not humble now, you're going to become a pastor, you will be, or you'll be out of ministry. It's just as simple as that. Leaders who are lazy, and their laziness becomes all too clear when they get in the pulpit. Avoid this, this the lazy pastor. They plagiarize their sermons. They have research teams who write their sermons. That man should not be a pastor, period. End of point. They're really not pastors at all, they're speakers. We've got a lot of speakers, but a speaker is not a pastor. No matter how smooth his words are, he's a speaker. Don't confuse the two. Maybe they do their hobbies all the time, and they don't spend any time with their people. I had a pastor who's been in ministry for decades once tell me he'd never read the entire Bible. Never, not once. To Which I would ask him, well, how do you know what you believe? What if you don't believe it? What if you read Second Hesitations? I wonder if he knew it was not in the Bible. And you know that you don't believe Second Hesitations. <laughs> never read the Bible. I was like saying, I've owned a car, but I've never owned an engine. I've been pushing this car around for years. Now, yeah, that's about the same, isn't it? Avoid those, another leader, those who preach, but don't shepherd the people. I've had seminary students say they love to teach, they love the Word, but they don't like people. To Which I'd say... Find something else to do with your life immediately. So I'm an introvert. doesn't matter. Introvert, extrovert, that's got nothing to do with it. You've got to love people. You can be an introvert who loves people or an extrovert who loves people, right? That's got nothing to do with it. I have a lot of friends who are wonderful pastors, and they're deeply introverted. They're wonderful pastors because they love people. that has got nothing to do with how well you jive with certain people. There going to be people in ministry you find challenging. Maybe you don't feel like you like them as much as others. Oh, yeah, let's just be honest. You're going to have a hard time loving them. But God puts them in your life and your church for your good, for your humility and your sanctification. But they preach and they don't like people. And I know people like that. They tend to focus on theological and personal convictions and sometimes use them to demand that congregations submit to them. They tend to be authoritarian. So have the kind of leader you avoid, those who shepherd but don't give much effort toward preaching and teaching God's Word. I had a prominent pastor in this city tell me a few years ago that he's not interested in theology or the Bible. I just don't like books at all. I don't like to read all that stuff. I want to say then, why are you in ministry since this is what you're supposed to be doing most of the time? These people, these kinds of ministers typically focus on homespun yarns, and I've been told I need to include more homespun yarns in my preaching, not here, but elsewhere. They use it as a forum to air their personal political convictions, but they don't preach or teach God's word. They'll preach Sean Hannity, or they'll preach, uh, you know, uh, CNN, whatever their bin is, but they don't really, you know, they don't really preach the word. That's not a faithful pastor. So avoid those kinds of leaders. So, why should we submit and obey our leaders, say you? And that might be even your first, just kind of, because you know, maybe you have in the back of your mind unfaithful leaders, or you've been abused by a pastor or elders, and there's plenty of that, sadly. Southern Baptist Convention, we've seen this revealed in the past three or four years, haven't we? And it's very, very sad. And may, maybe many of you have, you have a hard time with this passage because of that. And I understand. Ask God. You have to ask God for grace to help you live this out. And we understand that 100%. That's why I'm saying you have to obey and submit to faithful men. And there are plenty of unfaithful men out there. Right here, Scripture gives six reasons, and we'll spend most of our time on this. Six reasons you should obey and submit to godly leaders. One, because they are trustworthy guides, or they are to be trustworthy guides. They're not guys who don't like to read the Bible, don't like theology, and don't like that stuff. But they're to be trustworthy guides. Those who just can't stand people, they just want to preach and then go lock themselves in their study. And I know people like that. No, they're trustworthy guides. I think this is found in the word leaders, the Greek word for leaders here. It may be translated as guide Literally, guide. A truly faithful and God-called man is one who practices and teaches the Word of God, seeks to live it out in his own daily life. He is a man whose devotional life is deep and strong, or at least he seeks it to be that. I don't know mine's always deep and strong, but I want it to be. And if it's not, it's my fault, and I know that. I know that. Do I model this perfectly? No. Does Doug Williams model this perfectly? No. Does Clay DeVoe? No. We'll all tell you that. Paul told Timothy to set an example for the flock. Timothy's a young pastor. Paul said, Set an example for the flock. A faithful man is to be an example of humility and wisdom, faithfulness, and godliness. How can you pray for me? That's how you can pray for me. Humility, wisdom, faithfulness, godliness. That's what I want to be. And I know my other two elders, and they're men who want to be that way desperately. I know their hearts. I know their lives. That's what we want. And if God sends raises up another elder, that's the kind of man we want him to want to be as well. Like Jesus, a man who lives out the word of God before the flock and as well as faithfully preaching and teaching it week in and week out. Because a trustworthy emissary, no, no, trustworthy leader knows he's an emissary for Christ. He represents Christ, not himself. Paul told the Corinthians, we preach not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord and ourselves as bondservants for his sake. I'm not here to preach a message about myself today or from myself. That's why we do it verse by verse, book by book. His word, His way all the time and nothing else. Nothing else. Leads to the second reason church members are to obey and submit to faithful leaders because their authority comes from Christ. I don't come on my own authority today. I don't say submit and lead because I say so. I say no because the Bible tells me so. Ephesians 4, 11, 12. He gave, God gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers to equip the saints. Got that? To equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. Christ Fellowship, did you hear that? Let me read that again and listen very, very closely. He gave, God gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers. And you think, yeah, right, all those professional dudes that went to seminary. Uh-uh. Maybe, but their task is this, to equip the saints for the work of ministry. Who's that? Who are the saints? Is that Stephen and Paul and all these people at churches are named after here in Louisville? Luke? Are those the saints? Do they play football in New Orleans? No. That's you, right? The saints. Not the super charged Christians who have a lot of theology degrees. No, no. The saints for the work of the ministry of the building up the body of Christ. The body of Christ is built up as you do the ministry. And man, we got some people in the church who do that. And I love that about you. You do it. Well, I ask you guys, we say, elders say, hey, we got an idea. Well, you taking run with it. And some good people in the church said, hey, we found a building. What do you think about it? And we just said, I think we like that. And here we go. Body of Christ. The body of Christ. A few months later, what was a, this place smelled like sweat and urine when we walked in here because it was a gym. Well, I didn't. <laughs> and Byron said, this is going to be, you know, it's going to look like a palace almost, and we weren't feeling it, but we trusted him. Bang, look at this. Wow. said, gosh, we need youth ministry. We need children. We need these things. And man, God's just done He's brought them in. You're doing it. You're doing it. We're not doing this. I'm preaching. This is really the easy part. You're doing it, right? You're doing this, and I love it. Because you know this. You know that the authority, we we, we just, we're set out and we're sending you out. And our authority is spiritual and moral, not temporal and worldly. We're watching over your life and you are in return watching over our lives. There's a reciprocal relationship. You obey and trust us for our good. We talked about this in new members class today. You're here for us in that sense. You hold us accountable. So if I do say something really stupid on Twitter or Facebook or in the pulpit, you say, hey, wait a minute. Or if you see me across town, the woman, you don't know her, you might meet with me and say, hey, you know, what's going on here? I just, this is not like you, but hey, what's happening? I hope you would. And I'm sure you would. And I'm thankful for that. And that's why we're here for the, the same purpose for you among many other things. I mean, the church is to receive God-called leaders as authorities established by Jesus himself, but we're representatives of Christ, sent by him, sent for him, sent by him and for him. We're here by Christ, by the authority of Christ, and for Christ, not for Jeff, not for Doug, and not for Clay. No, our Christ to be that of John the Baptist. He must increase, Jesus must increase, and I must decrease. That, that, that notion, that, that attitude that typified John the Baptist, that's to be the attitude of a faithful elder, a faithful pastor. And that's the kind of man you can follow. Thirdly, because they're keeping watch over your souls, their authority is a spiritual authority and not a worldly authority. And God's men must not be authoritarian. I mean, sadly, far too many are. And sadly, early in my ministry, I was too. I once told an elder, he said, why should I do that? And I told him, because I said so. Beloved, that was really sinful. Brothers and sisters, I should never say that to a fellow elder or a church member or anybody else. Maybe my children, we say that to our kids, right? Because <laughs> I said so, that's why. It was always my favorite reason my parents gave me. And I was usually with the end of the conversation. But no, God's had to grant me repentance and growth in that area. Now He's had to wean me from that. And my elders, they've seen that before. So, oh, yeah, you've told us that, you warned us, and you're right, right. And, and, but, and that's, that's, that's not just guys out there who've fallen, right? But we're here to keep watch over your souls. I like what Rick Phillips said about pastors. He said, Pastors are to be spiritual security systems. Some of you have houses that have security systems, right? And if anything goes on outside your house, or someone tries a home, attempts a home invasion, it calls the cops, right? See, that's kind of what we're here for. We're here to keep a watch over your life, like that. We're, we're not in your life. We're not intru- invasive in your life, intrusive every day. We hope, but no, we. When you're having trouble in your marriage, or you're, you're wrestling to some sin, who who are you gonna call? Not Ghostbusters, right? <laughs> That'll do you no good. I do like that song, though. It's going to be in my head now. The rest of the afternoon. It was a rise, in my soul. Now, what's who you going to call? i got to stop this. Well, you call your pastors, right? And we pray with you, or we listen to you, or we encourage you, or we counsel you. We do a good bit of that, and that's good. That's good. And sometimes we have to get counsel. Doug, Doug has always been my counselor over the years. If something's wrong or I'm mad about something, who do I call? Kathy knows I call Doug. <laughs> Doug's, Doug's like probably like, I wish he'd grow up. <laughs> I just had a fight with my son. You gotta come over, got to come referee. You know, I mean Doug, but we all need that, right? Keeping watch over our souls. And we do that as elders. Or I call Clay and say, What do you think about this? And Clay's too nice to tell me, That's a really stupid idea. Maybe we'll have a better idea, you know. But they're 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 very gracious, but they, they help me, both of those men. They help me. I try to help them. Keep and watch here literally means stay awake. In 2 Corinthians 11, Paul gives a lengthy defense of his ministry, of his apostleship, how the stripes of suffering have authenticated him and equipped him as a genuine minister of the gospel, suffering. But he concludes with this, and I love this, and apart from all these things, this litany of suffering, he says, there is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. That's Paul's shepherd's heart. His anxiety, his greatest anxiety is for the churches because he's their pastor. Those churches he's planted. And sometimes my greatest anxiety is for you. Maybe members who are straying. Members who are living in sin. Members with secret sins. Remember I'm concerned about. Yeah, I I, I will lay awake at night over you. That old country song, walking the floor over you. Yeah, That's the pastor. He's walking the floor of his people, right? And that's because he loves the people and his anxiety is for the church. The faithful shepherd, how many sleepless nights out of concern for his sheep? I have, and I will, and that's a good thing. Doug has, and he will, and that's a good thing. Clay has, and he will, and that's a good thing. We talk about it. This has really been bothering me. I've heard, had my elders say that. Our elders say that to me many times. Man, this has really been on my mind and heart. Bang! This about this person or this situation involving these members. I Love you. That's, tr- that's true of us, though. We're also called to protect you. Acts 20. Flip back over to Acts 20. You can listen or turn. Read a couple of verses here. Acts 20, verses 28 to 31. Pay careful. I'm sorry, it's 28. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Speaking to elders here. Paul's talking to the elders. To care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. It's Christ's church. He died for the church, right? Not my church, not Paul's church. I know that after my departure, and here it is, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves within the church will arise men speaking twisted things. They don't square with Scripture. They're twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert elders, he's saying. Remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. So we're shepherds. Shepherds protect the sheep, right? They carry that, you know, they carry that stick, that 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 walking stick that we it looks kind of wimpy in the cartoons, but let me tell you, that's that that thing is that thing is bad to the bone. It's got the crook in it. They can reach and grab a sheep to pull him back from the from falling over a cliff because sheep aren't very smart. Or they can (laughs) they can take that thing and beat a lion's brains out with it. Because they're called to protect the sheep, and we're called to protect you from false teaching. And we've had sheep come with really strange ideas before about things, whether it's ethics, living the Christian life, or which is, of course, today very difficult, or even doctrine. We're called to protect right here. That's it. Fierce wolves come in. They worm in the wind in the church. They teach. They plant seeds of false doctrine. So we're the... Again, we're that spiritual security system our friend Rick Phillips talks about. That's it. Saying, warning, warning, look out. This is not true. And boy, it's going to take you away. We're keeping watch. Fourthly, protecting you against the wolves, part of the flood. But fourthly, also because we will give an account before the Lord. And what Jonathan Edwards said, we're going to give an account together. I'm going to give an account for what I said to you. This sermon today, I'm going to give an account for this. And if you fell asleep during the sermon, you're going to give an account for that. You just played church, you're going to give an account for that, right? You're going to give an account for what, what happened here. I'm going to give an account before the Lord, to the chief shepherd. I'm the under-shepherd. He's the chief shepherd. Because I don't serve for my own benefit. Pastors don't serve for their own benefit, but for yours, and we'll give an account for everything that went on here. For many church members and for many pastors, that's going to be a frightful day going to be a frightful day. I've served people for whom it's going to be a frightful day on that day. How can you help us with that? Well, the fifth fifth reason you obey and submit gives a strong clue because you want them to lead with joy and not burden down, not be burdened down. This is how you can help us. You can help us by keeping the commandment, obeying, submitting, in, in these ways, the single greatest discouragement that a pastor can experience is not low attendance. You think, well, low attendance, What well, really discourage you. Yeah, it can, but not, no, not, not really. That happens. Attendance, we know ebbs and flows. We know that. It's not even when somebody in the church doesn't like you for no good reason. And believe me, I've had plenty of those here and in other places. They just don't like you because they don't like you. There's really nothing you can do about that. And I've come to reconcile like it, but I mean, that's just the way it is. It's that way where you work. You know, it's just that way in the world, isn't it? And there are worldlings in the church, and they're just not going to like you because they don't like you. And that's fine. The single greatest disappointment for a pastor is when people will not believe and seek to live out the truth that they proclaim. That's the thing that grieves me. Not, if I see you not believing the Word of God, and you don't believe it apparently because you don't live it out... That's what grieves my soul and it grieves the soul of my fellow elders. We want to see you growing. I mean, I've served in places where there were a pretty large number of people who wouldn't believe the things the Bible taught no matter how clearly or carefully or graciously I tried to teach it. They'd just say, I don't believe that, that's Presbyterian or that's something else. Now, how many times you showed them, or I just don't believe that because I don't believe it. I had someone tell me, I don't believe that because I don't like you. <laughs> okay that's not a good reason that's not logical I think that was my answer well that's really not logical I don't care about no, let's not worry about the not liking me let's worry let's talk about this it's right here in the Bible I don't believe that I never serve a God who fill in the blank I've heard that more times than I can count on two hands and all my toes just don't believe it that's grievous that's grievous because that means you're deceived perhaps And typically, their lives were a mess, even if they didn't want to admit it because they didn't believe the Word of God. That leads to a messy life. It's very simple, isn't it? Trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus. It's really that simple. The greatest gift you can give your elders is a readiness to believe and obey the Word of God, and we see your life flourishing in the glory of God. That's it. The greatest reward I get in ministry is that. And I think our church is reasonably healthy, and I'm very thankful for you. Every Sunday coming here, I'm always encouraged because I see your godly lives. I know we've got problems, and, but I'm very grateful for you. here to make disciples of Christ, not fans of Jeff or Doug or Clay. That simple. Sixth, finally. Because submit and obey because faithful followership is of an advantage to you. Look what... Turn back to my text here. Look what... He says, Obey your leaders, submit to them for their keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy, not with groaning, because we want to do it with joy. And then he says this, for that would be of no advantage to you. Rebell against the word of God, rebel against your leaders, that's of no advantage to you. In fact, that is, that, is, that is a detriment to you. That could undo your soul. That could undo your profession of faith, couldn't it? I think he says this because rebellion against the leaders in the church leads to division and strife and unbelief, and I mean faithful leaders in the church, which is, of course, to no spiritual advantage for you. How does a united, godly, biblically faithful church affect your spiritual health? I think that will go a long way. If you're really involved and in it will go a long way toward making you spiritually mature, faithful, and persevering in the grace of God. It's a means of grace. That's why the writer of Hebrews ends with this. That's good, good for both members and leaders. When faithful, where faithful men are treated of God are treated poorly or even run off and that's an epidemic in our denomination there you have spiritual chaos and a gathering of people where Satan and not Jesus is reigning in their midst. And there are more churches out there who do this than not in our denomination, probably. They don't like something about the pastor, they run him off. I had a friend, a close friend of mine down in Georgia. The devil went down to Georgia and apparently he's still there because the grass planting committee got him fired. Which I would ask, why in the world does the church have a grass planting committee in the first place? Only Southern Baptists would do that. We love committees, right? His crime was planning because he had, while he was in college, had a, a, uh, he'd had a, a business where he had uh, done you know, planted grass and worked in yards and landscaping business, that kind of thing. He had gone and in front of the new parsonage planted grass and usurped the authority of the grass planting committee and he was fired. Help us. Faithful man. Have another friend who was a pastor. One day after church, A man came up to him and while he had his back turned, took a microphone like this down and hit him over the head with it because he didn't like something he preached. I could go on like this all day. Another friend who took a pastorate and the deacons were moving him in, unloading the truck. A volume of Calvin's Institutes fell out on the parking lot. They got it. They looked it over. On Wednesday night, they met and they fired him before he ever preached a sermon in the church. And I know that because he called me and told me. Said, What am I going to do? It's one of my seminary friends. What am I going to do? I'm out of a job, I'm out of a home, and they, they, just because of one volume that they disagreed with in my theology. They don't even know. I mean, I could have hated that. It could have been something I used as a doorstop. They didn't ask. And this goes on all the time. All trip called the pastoral ministry a dangerous calling, and if you're going into ministry, you better know it's a dangerous calling, but it's a glorious calling, and I love it. I wouldn't do anything else. i got to say, you're a privilege. It's a, it's a pleasure to pastor you, and I'm very grateful for all of you. I'm grateful that our elders don't face this. It's good to be reminded of this, but we're, I'm not preaching just to clear something up in the church to assert my authority, and I'm glad. There are men this morning who are doing having to talk about this and teach about authority because they're getting killed in the ministry. So what happens when God's people mistreat and don't follow godly leadership? The minute, look no further than the ministry of Moses. Okay, they fired Edwards, and they wanted to fire Moses. They couldn't fire Moses, but they tried, and they would have. Where do we learn about that? Well, n- uh, Numbers fourteen. There's a number of places. Numbers fourteen, I think, powerfully demonstrates this. Now the spies, and I'll put that up here. The spies had just returned from spying out the promised land in Canaan, and some of the land of them, so uh, in Canaan, some of them had reported that the people were very large, and they were intimidating, and they made the Israelites look like grasshoppers. We can't go in there and fight them. They'll kill us. So, what did the Israelites say? How did they respond? Did they say, oh, Moses, you are a legendary leader, a man of God who's courageous without peer? Not hardly. Numbers 14, 2, and all the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron, the two leaders of Israel. The whole congregation said to them, would that we would have died in the land of Egypt. Now, they were slaves in Egypt, keep in mind, okay? They were in slavery. They said, we wish we were still there. We, we should have just died in Egypt. We wish we would have died there. Or would that we had died in this wilderness. In the wilderness, or 40 years in the wilderness, we wish we'd just die here. Let us choose a leader and go back to Egypt. Hey, we like that last pastor a lot better than we did you. Let's see if we can fire you and get him back. I've heard it. I've not heard it for myself. Well, it's probably been said behind my back. (laughs) Fortunately, we don't really have a last pastor. Well, I guess we do, but I mean, Christ Fellowship (laughs) here. But we hear that, right? Let's go back to where we used to be. Hey, we need to recover the 1975 and the choir robes and the big youth group and all that stuff. You're going to do that, pastor? If you can't do that, then we're going to fire you. See this—we don't. Human heart doesn't change, does it? The people of God. Well, we're we're God's clumsy bride, aren't we? So what? What? How did God respond? Well, that's not the rest of the story. Moses, Moses. Even though they wanted to fire Moses and go back to Egypt, he did what? What a faithful man does. He interceded. He prayed for them. And then God responded, verses 26 to 30. God said, "Long shall this wicked congregation grumble against me." I have heard the grumblings of the people of Israel, which they grumble against me. Say to them, here it is, as I live, declares the Lord, what you have said in my hearing I will do to you. Man, this, God, this God doesn't play games, does he? Your dead body shall fall in this wilderness. All of your number listed in the census from 20 years old and upward who have grumbled against me, not one shall come into the land where I swore that I would make you dwell, except Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, and Joshua, the son of Nun. You want to grumble? God said, I'm going to kill you. Now, we say that to our kids, but we really don't mean it, do we? he, He means it because he killed some of them. Is grumbling a sin? What do you think? Grumbling a sin? That's a, that's a respectable sin, right? No, hardly. No, no, no. And yet we grumble, and this is for grumbling against the leadership, the God-anointed leadership. It didn't go well for them. They wandered for 40 years, didn't they? Now, before you say, well, boy, you've really given us a beating this morning, I want to say this. This also has strong application for those in vocational ministry who are leading the church as well who want to spend or maybe you some of you want to spend your life doing this and that's an application for us too okay the bible it cuts both ways rick phillips again said this if we turn this verse around it serves as a useful primer for those who would undertake spiritual leadership we are to be guides in the word of god and the christian life practicing what we preach and setting a godly example we bear the burden of authority and therefore responsibility If it it will keep us up at night, thinking about the sermon to preach and the sheep who may be going astray, knowing the sorrows of many hearts and weeping for those who suffer. This is the kind of man we've got to be, guys. You're going into ministry. This is who you need to be. This is who you should pray that we're going to be. It's why we need grace. Paul asked in Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 2.16, who's sufficient for these things? Me the ministry. And he said, no one's sufficient for these things. He goes on to say, it is God who makes us sufficient to be ministers of the new covenant. Our sufficiency is from God. And that's true. That's true of me. It's true of our elders. It's true of any elder, any, any preacher who be, pastor, be faithful to God and his congregation. Our sufficiency comes from the Lord. If you're going in ministry, you must know that day one or you will be a spectacular failure in the ministry. And some of us, including me, have had to learn this the hard way. God had to teach me my lessons the hard way. I can, this sermon resonates to me because I've done a lot of these things. How can you obey and submit? Okay, here we go. Very quickly, two minutes here. One, pray for your leaders. Back in verse 18. Pray for us, for we are sure that we have a clear conscience in the way we've done things. He said, I think we've tried to be faithful, so pray for us. Desiring to act nobly, I mean, honorably in all things. So pray for us, just like the writer asks here. Pray for, pray for your elders all the time. In the ministry, you can offer to elders, deacons, your youth leaders, your Sunday school teachers, your music minister, is prayer for God's daily grace for us. Pray for every one of us. Pray for every person I just named there. Pray for us, not just the elders, but those who lead in this church. We need God's grace. John Newton, in a 1756 letter to another pastor, one of the great letter writers in the, church history, in the history of the church, said this. The people of God are sure to meet with enemies, but especially his ministers are going to meet with enemies. Satan bears them, that is pastors, a double grudge, spiritual leaders too. The world watches for their halting. The Lord will allow them to be afflicted, that they may be kept humble, that they may acquire a sympathy with the sufferings of others, that they may be experimentally qualified to advise and help them and to comfort them with comforts with which they themselves have been comforted by God. Satan bears the minister of the gospel a double grudge. Brother pastor, future pastor, Satan wants to sift you as wheat, and he wants to sift me as wheat. Pray for your pastors, please. Charles Spurgeon, someone asked him, what is the key to your ministry? Someone, an outsider said, why why does your church grow? Why, Why are so many people converted? And he said simply this, my people pray for me. Praying for us? you Praying that we'll grow? Are you praying that we'll meet our budget? Are you praying that your pastors will be godly men? Are you praying they'll meet the qualifications, 1 Timothy 3, Titus one they There'll be those kind of men. they will be humble men. Are you praying for that? Our enemy watches us closely. He wants to sift us as wheat. Pray for us. Pray that our lives will line up the qualification for elders. Pray that we will be men who are above reproach. That's how you can pray for us. Beginning today, if you've not been doing it, please do. Please Pray that we will persevere in faithful, godly, living and teaching to the end of our lives. and We can only do this by God's grace. I can't do this because I have degrees, because I went to seminary, because I you know, used to be a journalist, because I'm 54, or whatever it is someone thinks it qualifies me. None of that. It's surely the grace of God that will see me through and keep me faithful. And that's true of all of our elders and our leaders here like Joe and, and Noah and Zach and others who teach and lead here. And the deacons in our church, the the deacons who've been with us and the new deacons coming in. Pray for your leaders. Secondly, encourage them. Show that you appreciate them. Lots of ways to do this. Do nice things for them. I had a family in my church in Birmingham. They would give me a card every year, a gift card to Barnes & Noble. And man, I'd go to Barnes & Noble and I would spend that. It'd take me like six months to spend that card. (laughs) Not because it was so large, because I was so scrupulous about getting free books, you know. Someone else bought me free golf. And I love that, and I'm not trying to. I'm not saying you need to give me a free Barnes and Noble, or free golf, but you know if you want to do that, well, you know, uh, do, do we. I won't give it back to you. I couldn't front, but no, just thing that was wonderful. We would travel. Our family would travel. They one lady would give us every time I, she would get us a gift certificate to uh, to uh, uh, one of the one of the restaurants. I can't remember which one now. I think it was. Uh, I don't remember, but she would give and we would eat there because I know it's expensive. Again, I'm not asking you to do this. These are just thoughtful things that they probably didn't think it meant anything to us. It meant the world to us. Wonderful. Don't never say things like this to them. You know, we would have your family over for dinner, but you just have too many kids. That was said to my wife at a previous venue of ministry. You just have too many kids. That would be interesting to have all those kids in my house. I want to go over there and set my kids loose in their house and say, Have at it. <laughs> Give them a bunch of cokes and chocolate and sugar and get them amped up and go get them, Tiger. Because <laughs> I've seen what my kids can do when they're unhinged, and man, you shoot have good at ever. But the sanctified Jeff went out and we didn't do that, so that time. Um, if you have a problem with an elder, tell the elder. Deep South, you say, Hey man, you got a problem with me? You come to me. Oh, no, I, I won't say it that way, but you got a problem? Come talk to us. Don't talk about us behind our backs. Don't do that. Don't do that. Don't do that. We'll, we'll not do that to you. Don't do that to us. Talk to us face to face, man to man, woman to woman, whatever it's got to be. Do that. I'm a big boy. You can, I mean, there's almost nothing. You, as one of my friends used to say, you have to be trying intentionally and hard for a long time if you're going to offend me. I've heard it all. So you can talk to me. I hope you know that. I know Doug, that reflects his heart. That reflects Clay's heart. Clay's saying thanks a lot. Now they're going to <laughs> No, no. I can speak for these guys. I know their hearts. Be faithful in your attendance, finally, in your participation. Be here. Participate. With your time, and you guys do well, really well for this, and you're giving. And by the way, we're going, to need, we're going to need it because our budget just about doubled beginning now. we got a great building, but guess what? we got to pay for it. <laughs> got to pay for it. <laughs> giving needs to increase now, like last week. Be mindful of that. And we're not the kind of elders we aren't going to guilt you about that. We're going to harangue you about that. Maybe you'll harangue you a little bit if it gets tight, but you know, we're not going to harangue you much. But just, just be faithful in that. That encourages us. We don't, have to, we don't want to have to worry about that. Make church your excuse for missing other things. If you didn't write anything else down that I said, write that down. Make church your excuse for missing other things. People always say, well, I couldn't come to church because. Man, I've heard some. <laughs> I've heard some. Whopper. I do mean, man, I need to write a book about the excuses I've heard of there There's some doozies. And you hear, you know. Yeah. There, I won't share them with you, but they would make you laugh. But they're, they're funny. But make church excuse. Hey, we can't do that. We got church. I love to hear my wife say, hey, you got to get in bed early. We got church tomorrow. And my kids. Or no, we can't do that. We got church tomorrow. We got to get in. We, we don't need to be out late. I love it. Lisa says that. And she says that often. Because this is the priority. Make it your priority too. Not, not to impress us, but because it's good for you. Let's pray the the elders will be humble, faithful leaders who preach the word and lead biblically in humility, and that members will obey and submit in every way that is appropriate and consistent with the cross of Jesus Christ, by His grace and for His glory. Let's pray to be these kind of people, these kind of leaders. Let's pray. God in heaven, this has been a difficult sermon for me to preach because it does sound self-aggrandizing. Father, so give us grace to live toward one another, not be like Jonathan Edwards' congregation, Lord, for we just had lots of problems and we never really talked about it until it was too late. But God, make us a healthy and strong body. And I pray that the love and the respect would go between leaders and, and congregation would, would always go both ways, Lord. That we as elders would be godly, humble, faithful men who love our people and love you and your glory and are faithful to preach your word. Lord, let us do it until Jesus comes. In his name we pray. Amen.